from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt here for the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm here with Daryl Slater. The Giants are coming off a win, which they've only done one other time this year. Uh, they beat Washington, which is the only team it seems like they're capable of beating. What, what, what's like the the ratio with Daniel Jones starts for of Washington wins to not? I think you you uh, wrote something about that. Daniel Jones is uh, he's four and zero against Washington, and he's one in sixteen in his <laughs> other starts. It's which, unreal, which seems almost impossible. Yeah, it, it's a weird little statistical quirk and. I think the Giants, the number I put out there, they're 6-2 and two since, against Washington since the start of the uh, 2017 season, and they're 8-41 and 41 in their other games. So <laughs> they've been <laughs> it's bad It's absolutely overall. bonkers, yeah. Yeah, they've been bad overall, but pretty good against against Washington. So, And the, iron, the irony is Washington has had like more overall success in the, in that like long stretch. and. Right. But the Giants, just for whatever reason, have their number. It's like so crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they've been a really good team, but no, 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 no. But uh, more success than the Giants. Yeah, low bar to clear, but they've cleared it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So the the Giants won a, another close one because, as you and I joke every week, we'd like to just get like one blowout in either direction. It looked like maybe the Giants were heading that way, and then they let Washington come back into it. Um, but it was another close one. They've had what like four straight close games, um, and it's. You know that this week they play the Eagles, which I imagine will be another one like that because whenever they play the Eagles, it kind of there's always some weird stuff that happens. Usually, where the Giants are leading most of the game, then they blow it at the end. But um, we'll see how that goes. But what, so what? So I, I like to ask this each week, like what? What you walk out of? I mean, we weren't at the game because it was in Landover, and, and we didn't. I'm not mad about not being in Landover, by the way. But um, what what do you think at the end of that game when they when they pulled out that win? Yeah, I mean, obviously another kind of head spinning finish, but um, a team learning how to win and learning how to finish off games. And I, I know Joe Jets uh, always downplays that idea of learning how to win and closing out in the late moments. But the reality is certain moments in the game are obviously more important than others. Um, there's higher pressure moments. Obviously people are human playing the game. You know, it's not like they're robots and every moment is exactly the same. So in, in a high pressure moment, the giants were able to finish, got picks in the last two uh, Washington drives and, Really, I mean, going into that game, the Giants had blown fourth quarter leads and lost in three of their previous four games, and it should have been, it could have been four if if Washington had had gone, not gone for two, tied the game, and then say they had won in overtime. That would have been four straight fourth quarter blown leads going into the game, and then potentially it would have been five. <laughs> so yeah. if they had if they had blown that lead and lost in Washington on Sunday, that would have been their worst loss of the season, no doubt, considering they had a twenty to three lead, um, and uh, and and. and basically blew it almost and I mean, uh, I mean watching that every chance at the end to come back and they kept turning the ball over so right and and obviously Alex Smith it would have been a great story uh, you know from just an objective standpoint if he was able to kind of finish that off but you know you got a guy who's barely played since 2018 so he's obviously going to be rusty so um it'll be interesting to see what he does the rest of the year for them because it's his show now with Kyle Allen out um, but, uh, yeah, that's sort of what I walked away from that game with is obviously two really flawed teams and the giants, you know, are trying to find their way and they're trying to, to be a, you know, a team that can close out these type of games. Um, and they were able to do it. Now let's see going forward if they can kind of carry this and make it mean anything. Uh, 
because they do have some winnable games on the schedule. They play the Cowboys still, and they play the Bengals still, and um, the narrative here in the final seven games is going to be, can they do enough to save Dave Gettleman's job? Um, and uh, they're going to have to they're going to have to close out some of these games that are winnable. Yeah, and just just kind of like running through some takeaways I had um, coming out of that game, and you can feel free if any of these like catch your eye that you want to elaborate on or whatever. But a, a few things that kind of I thought of leaving this game was number one. Daniel Jones finally didn't turn the ball over, and that's probably – it's not why they won, but it's why they won because he's lost games for them that were closer than this uh, where he turned the ball over. Number two, I would say Patrick Graham. You know, I think we've talked about him on the spot a lot, but he just deserves, like, so much credit for the work he's done. I think he had a master class in that game. Um, the the game-winning interception that Logan Ryan had was a play that they installed on Saturday morning, which by all accounts from all the coaches and the players, that's not really something that's pretty common. Um, at least not one that like winds up winning the game for you. Um, and Patrick Graham, like they, they're at the middle of the pack in the league, which is a major step up from what they were last year in most categories. They're, I think, like number three rush defense on pro football focus. Um, and they, they're doing it without a good second cornerback or great pass rushers. So I think that's something worth uh, hyping up. And Le- Leonard Williams, I think, deserves a lot of credit. And maybe we should get into Leonard Williams because I think that's a topic that fans like hearing about. Uh, just because like the controversy around that trade, but he's been really good. He was really good in that game. He has five sacks this year. Um, in terms of the bad, you know, Isaac Isaac Yide, um, I think Pro Football Focus had him giving up 158.3 passer rating, which is a perfect rating. And you could see that they were targeting him a lot more than they were targeting James Bradbury on that on that 68 yard Terry McLaurin touchdown. Um, he was right there, and he like just half-assedly tried tackling him so Terry McLaurin easily got away and he scored and that could have been the difference in the game and they don't have any other options at that spot so he's going to keep starting which is alarming and if you just look at like the history of their number two cornerback spot it's like really scary stuff over the last few years but there's that and then you know you have the offensive line I think had probably its best game of the year but which of those things like do you want to talk about because I think those are all worthy combos. Well, I think Daniel Jones, obviously the most important yeah. thing, you know, that's a huge point of progress for him to not turn the ball over. I mean, that, that is, that is, you know, priority number one, two, and three for him this year and going into the year. And it became an, even more of an issue. We talked about all the stats going into this game about how he was on pace for you know, 26 turnovers and um, what a disaster it would be if he potentially had 50 turnovers through two years and, that was the narrative again. He, he was playing a really good defense. Remember too. I mean, they were the fourth ranked DVOA defense going into that game. Washington was, and um, that was, that was a nice job by him. He obviously has to go out and play the Eagles and, and do it in, in, in a second straight week here coming up. But um, I think that's progress for Daniel Jones. And that's what the giants want to see. They want to see a quarterback who can play smart and play safe at times and not always be so risky. And that that's been a, we talked to you and I, a bunch of people about this, and that's been a big hurdle for him. So I think this was a this is an important lesson game for him um, in terms of, you know, the other stuff you mentioned. I think the other big biggest picture thing on the other side of the ball is just defensively how well they're playing, giving their given their limitations. Um, and not just that, I think you don't overlook the fact that Leonard Williams is 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 has a lot of potential or at least people thought he did. And he is obviously a physically gifted guy who was drafted six overall, um, who's never really been able to put it together. So maybe there's something that Patrick Graham and um, Sean Spencer are doing to, to really bring out the best in him. So I think not only does, does Patrick Graham deserve credit for, you know, putting together an overall successful, relatively successful defense, giving a, given his limitations, but I think he also deserves credit um, and, and Sean Spencer too, for, um, 
getting the more out of a guy who doesn't objectively stink. Like, I mean, obviously yeah. some of these guys in this defense are not good players and they're getting, they're getting something out of them, but they're also drawing a little bit of this. Um, what, what didn't seem like it was ever going to appear out of, out of Leonard Williams. So I think that's the flip side to what they've done defensively. And I mean, you covered Leonard Williams for like all of the beginning of his career, pretty much. Right. So like what, what, what was the issue with him? Was it an effort thing? Was it he just was just not living up to his talent? Like what 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 would you make of? Because he had that one year where he was a Pro Bowler in uh, twenty sixteen, I believe it was. He had seven sacks, and then you kind of didn't hear from him for a few years. Yeah, he was never able to finish sacks. I mean, he wasn't quick enough off 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 the ball, and he talked about all these things every year. You come back to to Florham Park and talk about these things that he had done in the offseason to improve his his quick twitch and improve his ability off the ball and. Um, the guys he'd worked with in the off season and how this was going to be the year that he was going to convert all the quarterback hits to sacks. And um, the, the stats are really insane. I know it off the top of my head because I wrote it the other night. I, in his first 79 career games, he had 17 and a half sacks. And, I, and the, the number of quarterback hits, I have to look it up, but it's, it, was, and it was way above that. So he had been a yeah. somewhat effective pass rusher, and he'd been good against the run, but he hadn't been able to finish off, off sacks. And this year, five sacks in nine games. So you don't have to be a math major to figure out that that's kind of crazy. I mean, he, he, he almost has a, a third of, of his previous sack total here in nine games that he had in his first 79. So, um, yeah, I think he's playing on a defensive line. And you could say, oh, he's playing on a defensive line that has has some threats on him. But but you got to remember, earlier in his career, he was playing on a pretty good defensive line, too, that had Damon Harrison and um, and that had uh, Sheldon Richardson. So I, obviously those guys kind of went in different directions in terms of them not, you know, they were not dominant players, uh, or at least certainly not any any longer. Um, but uh, at the time, you know, he, he played against guys who got attention. But then, then the storyline became the double teams he was drawing w- with the uh, with the Jets. So um, w- whatever it is that Sean Spencer and and uh, and Patrick Graham were doing, they deserve a lot of credit for it. You know, it's, it's such like a, a complex discussion with Leonard Williams, just because you know you have to kind of talk about all the baggage that comes with it. Like, you know, I, I wrote the day after the game about Leonard Williams, and I got a lot of people agreeing, some pushback on the context of it, because I think, you know, it, it comes back, this trade that Dave Gettleman did is going to be kind of like, it seems like it's gotten more pub than even the Odell Beckham trade to this point, probably because I think people have just moved on from that, and maybe Dexter Lawrence is good, maybe Drabil has some talent, whatever. Um, with the Leonard Williams one, I still believe, even if, you know, the, the whole point, even if he is great this year, which he has been so far, it still was not a smart trade at the time. Like you could still say that um, if you just look at everything that had that happened, you know, they traded a third and a fifth round pick for a guy that the jets were more than willing to trade. I'm sure Joe Douglas said yes before Dave Gettleman finished the offer. Um, and so they traded a third and it could have been a fourth. It wound up being a fifth. And then they franchise tagged Leonard Williams for $16.1 million, which almost underscored the problem to begin with, which is, you could have signed him as a free agent, and if you had offered him $16 million as a free agent, you would have gotten him in a second because nobody else was going to pay Leonard Williams that coming off of a 0.5 sack season. So the, the trade itself, I still don't think was a good move. One of Dave Gettleman's worst moves, if you just look at the logic of it. But at the same time, like, you know, he's played like a pro bowler this year, and that's what they're paying him to do. And if he keeps doing this, then that's great. And then you also kind of have to think about the future. Like, what does this mean? So his value is only skyrocketing now because 
he knows you know he's hamstringing the Giants by the fact that they felt the need to franchise tag him in the first place, and then he's not living up to that necessarily, but he's playing really well. So they're going to have to pay him a lot this offseason if they want to bring him back. And if you bring him back, you're probably not going to be able to pay Dalvin Tomlinson also or Logan Ryan. So it's just like such an interesting you know, conversation to have because on one hand, he's one of the most important players. On the other hand, they should never have traded for him. <laughs> It's fascinating because, I mean, this is the ultimate case of a guy really turning it on in a contract year. I mean, he, like I'm looking at his numbers now. He had three sacks as a rookie in 2015, then seven, and then he went two, five, and .5 in terms of his sacks <laughs> the next three years. So he had seven sacks in 2016, and then he had seven and a half combined in the next After. three seasons. So he really uh, tailed off. And uh, last year, he only had 16 quarterback hits, too. So, I mean, you look at his quarterback hits his first four years, 21, 19, 25, 20, and that dips down to 16 last year, um, pretty much on pace for the low 20s this year in that in that department. But, but obviously, um, uh, with the five sacks, um, it, it makes up, you know, up for that. So he was a guy who was never able to finish finish on quarterback hits. So uh, w- w- the number I kind of teased earlier, he had had uh, 101, <laughs> 101 quarterback hits and 17 and a half sacks uh, in his first five <laughs> seasons. Which, Crazy, yeah. It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. How, how is that even possible to get to the quarterback, to get close that often and to not be able to finish off sacks and, um, obviously he's quicker this year. They're doing more to, to help him get off the ball. Obviously he's not jumping the snap count every time. <laughs> Otherwise he'd be getting penalized a lot more than he has. I don't even know if he has much at all, but, uh, look, I mean, here's the bottom line. It's a blessing and a curse that he's playing well, isn't it? Because like you said, it makes the decision next off season a lot harder. And what happens if there's a new GM, how much stock he, he's not going to have to be loyal to the fact that Dave Gettleman traded for Leonard Williams, but you know, then that makes it, you know, you let him walk. And he gets paid big by somebody else to go elsewhere. And maybe that winds up being the quote unquote smart move because the worst possible thing you could do in this situation is double down, double down on a mistake just because Leonard Williams had a pretty good year this year. You have to look at what type of player he's going to be going forward. You can't, you can't pay off just one year. That's not how it works. And this guy's going to be 27 next year. So he's still young. He has that on his side. He's coming off a productive year. Maybe he has turned it around uh, and turned it on now in in this contract here but again it just seems like a it seems like a, a dicey situation because you could very easily overpay for a guy who goes right back basically into being a average player next year potentially and that, that's gonna be another one of their dilemmas because you know that on one hand this defensive line is probably the strength of this team but also do you really want to pay to probably i mean leonard williams is best strength is probably as a, I mean, I don't know. He, he's a little more well-rounded to Dalvin Thomas and Dalvin Thompson's a run stopping nose tackle. And so if you're paying both those guys a lot of money, you're kind of making it harder to go and get an edge rusher that can be dominant, which is a more valuable commodity than what they are. And they don't really have anyone on this team right now. That's, you know, a good enough edge rusher that you can say will be a 10 sack guy at some point. So I, I think that's a very interesting point. And, and, it's going to be very – I'm very curious to see how that plays out. And, you know, a lot of it will have to do if Dave Gettleman is the GM or if somebody else is because if it's Gettleman, he's going to do everything he can to bring Leonard back because he loves that guy and he's kind of tied his tied his future to him almost. Um, but if it's somebody else, you know, who knows what they'll think. But that kind of that kind of makes me think about the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is I would say they're this team's biggest weakness right now, especially since the offensive line at least has shown flashes of being cap- capable of, like, 
being good, although I'm not sure they're good enough to sustain how they played against Washington against a better Eagles team. But, you know, that, that number two cornerback spot is just a serious, serious problem. Um, you know, I, I have something coming out about this. Uh, by the time this podcast is up, it'll be out. Um, where if you just look at, like, who what their number two cornerback has looked like since the year before Dave Gettleman um, got here. Uh, like, here, let me pull up the list right now. So in, in 2017... So 2017, 18, and 19, Janoris Jenkins was the number one corner, and he was he was relatively fine. He wasn't perfect by any stretch, but he was fine. Um, and the number two cornerbacks were in 2017: Ross Cockrell, Eli Apple, and Brandon Dixon, your your friend from the Jets. Uh, 2018 was Eli Apple and B.W. Webb. 2019 it was DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, and Antonio Hamilton. And so far this year, with James Bradbury, who's been amazing, has been Corey Ballantyne, Isaac Yadam, and Ryan Lewis. Who those three guys you probably I mean you've heard of Brett, Corey Valentine but you never heard of the other two before this year like the the fact that they've I mean they were supposed to have DeAndre Baker and Sam Bill this year I'm not sure you could have been all that confident in those guys maybe more than who, who they have but like that that it's just so easy for the the other the offense the quarterback especially if they're a quarterback smart enough and they're a veteran and they're talented you just target whoever's not James Badbury and you're going to succeed probably. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, it's been really a cursed spot. I, I, I wonder, and I don't know if you looked this up for your for your story. When's the last time they had a pretty good number two cornerback? Um, you might have to go back. Yeah, I would have to go back before 2017 for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, and just just see. I mean, but I'm sure people listening would probably know better than we would because they've been paying attention to the team longer. But just from, I mean, I, I think if you just talk about the current state of the Giants, which you know maybe they had a, they had a productive guy in 20. 14 or whatever it doesn't really matter one bit for the current team but um you know for, to be that uh unproductive for that long at, at that spot i mean that's obviously your number two cornerback is going to be number two for a reason but yeah. know, imagine if you know deandre baker had turned out uh all right and uh you know they had been able to say replace uh, uh janoris jenkins with james bradbury this offseason that, that would have been a nice pairing if deandre baker had lived up to his draft status but obviously that didn't happen last year and it didn't happen this offseason in terms of stuff on and off the field um so here they are again I mean, th- th- you have to say that this is probably their worst number two cornerback situation of all the all those years 17 18 yeah 19. absolutely um, even with as bad as DeAndre Baker was. Um, yeah, but I'd be curious to know, maybe his his PFF grade was really, really bad last year. So I'd be yeah. curious to see how, how Ryan Lewis and um, I, Isaac Adam com- compare to that. I can, t- I can tell you right Bears now. Bears are terrible also. So. Yeah, so Isaac Adam is a 51.1, and he's the best of these number two corners. Um, Ryan Lewis is a 41, Corey Ballantyne a 38.5. By the way, Corey Ballantyne, this kind of like, came up today because Corey Ballantyne was released on uh Tuesday. So, um, which is saying something because he was in a week one starter and that kind of says about where they're at, but, uh, and then 2019, let's see, Deandre Baker was a 48.4. So Yadam is better than Baker. The others are worse according to the PFF grades. That's uh, how you can say that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's, but it's I mean, it's because if you like think about the Super Bowl years, like they had, their cornerbacks, they were pretty good. Like they had Aaron Ross and Corey Webster in 2011. Prince of Mukamara was a rookie that year, I believe. And let's see, the other year. What was the other year they won the Super Bowl? 2007. 2007, that's what I thought. All right. It's taking a while. Okay, here we go. They had, yeah, Corey Webster and Aaron Ross that year were pretty good. So, I mean, like, again, like, there's not, it's not like there's a, 
you know, an overload of great cornerbacks around the NFL. You don't want to pay too much to two guys. Uh, you kind of need to find a young guy in the draft to be the number two corner usually. And so they're probably gonna have to draft one this year. I don't know how high they'll do it. Um, Baker was supposed to be that guy. And in theory, if he had come back this year and he improved, you know, this defense would just look so much different. And it's funny. It's crazy how, how important the secondary is in that sense, because if you're playing good quarterbacks, which more and more teams have good quarterbacks, maybe than ever, like you just can't have that big of a weak spot. They need to be league average. You don't need a pro bowler as your number two corner. No, you got to be functional there, and the Giants are have been completely dysfunctional for you know what seventeen, eighteen, nine, twenty fourth years, four straight years now, um, where they've been unproductive or dysfunctional at that spot, and um, not coincidentally, they've been really bad now record wise for four straight years. So um, that's a huge part of of, the, of today's NFL. Uh, obviously, the quarterback position matters a ton, but you know, cornerback is a hugely important position. You know, and now they're not going to go out and, and sign another guy to a big money contract. They can't do that. They just did that with James Bradbury. I guess they could, but it wouldn't be very smart. You're probably looking at having to draft a guy in the first three rounds next year and hope he can come in and play immediately. And it's really hard, really hard to play as a rookie cornerback, play a lot in the NFL. Um, it's just, it's super challenging position. Um, so whoever comes in is going to have growing pains. There's no doubt about that. And DeAndre Baker did too. Um, so it would have been interesting to see if he would have been able to overcome any of that this year. Um, but I think that his problems ran so deep beyond, um, just not quite being able to put it together on the field. I think there was a lot of issues with, you know, maybe his work ethic and how much he was willing or able to grasp what was being taught. So, um, obviously a terrible pick we've been over it a million times and they traded up to get him. So yeah. a brutal pick on so many levels. Um, and, and one that will have ripple effects for this team for years to come. Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah, that's the biggest concern I had, even going against the Eagles team who is getting a lot healthier. They have Jalen Rager. They're getting Alshon Jeffrey back. Travis Fulgham's been very good. Greg Ward's been fine. So that's that's going to be an issue this week if Carson Wentz is any good. Um, I would say the biggest topic that I've noticed, just you know, being on all the Zoom calls, we talked to position coaches on Tuesday, Joe Judge, and a couple players on Monday. A big topic has been this offensive line rotation the Giants are doing, which is something that anybody you talk to will say they've never seen anything like it. And it's they're putting they're playing Matt Pert as the third offensive tackle. He's playing twenty to twenty five snaps a game, so they're it, so they're they're wrote, they're doing different sets where Matt Pert will come in at left tackle. And he'll be playing with Cam Fleming, and then then Andrew Thomas will come back in, and then Cam Fleming will go out for Matt Pert, and they'll do a series together with that pairing, and 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 then it, it even transferred over to left guard where Shane Lemieux came out for three plays in the middle of a drive for Chad Slade. And it sounds like they're going to keep going with this. Um, it's it, it's interesting. I don't really know what to make of it. I think it's kind of an interesting way of like easing a rookie offensive lineman in. In that sense, I kind of get it, but at a certain point, you have to have some continuity on the offensive line which anyone who's played offensive line would tell you that's true you need the continuity but what, what do you think of that because I it, it's like it, I mean it plays into Joe Judge is always doing things differently to try and find an edge which I guess I respect but I, I don't really I don't know I, I'm curious to see how this plays out the rest of the year if they keep going with it I mean there's a reason teams don't would prefer to not do what they're doing I mean, yeah. you would prefer to have five functional linemen who all play together all the time that's what most teams do I mean, this is this is not an approach that is is necessarily something that's going to catch on around the NFL. Like you think about um, in baseball when teams have a bullpen bull, bullpen game where like they'll throw a starter who goes two innings and then guys chip in for one and two and two and something like that. So 
yeah, this is not something that's going to become a trend, I don't think. I think it's more of a product of the fact that they have a flawed offensive line and they're trying to do anything they possibly can to not overwhelm the young guys that they're playing. And I think from that perspective, sure, I think you're, you're trying to develop young guys and also trying to um, to maximize the production to win, actually win games. So I, I guess I get it. It's not necessarily just something that's sustainable or preferable. Um, maybe not sustainable would be maybe it's sustainable with this group, but it's not preferable. Um, and it's not sustainable with a group where you clearly have a starting five. Um, so I think looking forward, this is a group that they're going to have to figure out, uh, you know, Cam Fleming's a pending free agent. He's been a career backup who has played like it this season. I don't think there's in any world they should bring him back next year. Um, in, unless he's going to be the backup and he's willing to be paid like it. But, um, I think Matt Pert will be your right tackle probably and Andrew Thomas at left tackle unless something drastic changes or there's an injury. I think that's that's the way you got to go. And then they have to figure out what do they do with Will Hernandez? Do they bring him back for uh, the final year of his contract? And and and, and I, you know, I, I actually overlooked and just didn't even remember him and just remembered him now talking is that Nate Solder will be back next year. So is Nate Solder yeah. your starting right tackle or is he your backup right tackle? He's going to be paid out the nose uh, in this terrible contract that Dave Gettleman gave him, but because he opted out understandably um, due to, you know, obviously being a high risk situation opted out of this season, this season's contract numbers are bumped to next season for him. So the giants can't cut him after this season. So uh, he'll be back which is could be a good or a bad thing. I think he could be a fine backup, but at some point you want to get Matt Pert in there and see if he can be your right tackle of the future. And then what, and then separate from all this is what do you do at center? Because is Nick Gates really a long-term answer. So, um, and will Kevin Zeitler be back? So there's, you could go down the rabbit hole of, of their offensive line possibilities, but I think right now they're just trying to figure out some answers um, and they're trying to, like you said, I think it's an interesting way to get the young guys feet wet when you talk about, Matt Pert and maybe to to maybe to not overwhelm Andrew Thomas and give him a break, give him a breather, give him a chance to think through these things um, um, instead of maybe getting as overwhelmed as potentially he had been uh, going out there. And he's really struggled. He's really struggled, but they're obviously not going to give up on him. Well, and the craziest part is now they're because Will Hernandez just got activated off the COVID-19 list. Uh, and they said they're going to ease him back in. So they're going to be running a rotation with Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez at left guard, most likely. So that means you're going to have situations where you have three different spots changing throughout a game, which I can't imagine is the smartest idea. But I mean, if it works, it works. Like th their running game has been better the last two weeks than it had been all season. Um, Andrew Thomas has played better the last two weeks than he has all season. And I wonder, you know, people have theorized whether Shane Lemieux being in there instead of Will Hernandez has something to do with that. Um, and I, I mean, I, we'd have to talk offensive line expert if that's a real thing. I know when I covered the Eagles, like before, um, before I even covered them, actually, Jason Peters, I forget who the left guard was that there's somebody he didn't like. And so he, had, he didn't like playing next to him. And then when some, when another player came in there, he started playing better kind of thing. So I don't know if there's anything to that theory, but um, I think they really like Shane Lemieux too, but this offensive line is just such a weird Frankenstein's monster right now. And, I mean, I guess that if you don't think the offensive line is good enough, then you try and do whatever you can to ha get at a competitive advantage, and maybe throwing the defensive line off off guard is is the right way to uh, approach that. Um, let's see what. So, I, I guess the the other piece of news that came over the last week uh, that we weren't able to cover in the last episode is we don't have to talk about this too for too long, but they they claimed uh, Dante Pettis off waivers from the 
San Francisco 49ers. He's a wide receiver. He was a former third round pick. Um, I think it's a smart, he was in the doghouse in San Francisco. He barely played the last two years, but this is the kind of stuff the giants should be doing. They should be claiming young players on cheap contracts from other teams, seeing if they're any good. If they're not, you can get rid of them. I mean, this guy is the best uh, kick returner, a uh, punt returner I've ever seen. He had nine touchdowns in college as a returner. He's really fast. The giants don't really have anybody at wide receiver. They probably want to get rid of golden Tate. Austin Mack kind of showed a little something. Uh, this last game against Washington. So if you have Austin Mack and if Dante Pettis is any good, then you can cut ties with Golden Tate and get rid of that headache. What would you, what do you, what do you, this is like a smart thing for them to do, right? As a team, that's not very good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. so, so Pettis is, is not going to be a free agent. He's he, like you said, it's kind of alluded to it. Second round pick 2018. Uh, so he'll be 18, 19, 20, 21 next year will be the final year of his rookie contract. So the, the giants get this guy and, and they can take a look at him and not just to have a look at him for just this season, but they say, all right, well, you know, fairly affordable contract and we'll, let's see what this guy can carry into a next season for us. At least give, give us a shot to get a full evaluation of him through the spring. And uh, golden Tate should have been gone yesterday. Should have been gone a week ago. I mean, no, I don't understand why this guy is still. And I mean, I wrote something about this uh, coming he out. Did, of, he didn't play against Washington, by the way. I don't know if we mentioned that yet. Yeah. They, yeah. They basically suspended him essentially without officially suspending him. Right. So I think we, I mean, it was so, I guess I get everyone listening probably know, knew that or yeah. understood what happened, but yeah, they, they, they did suspend him. I mean, they, they left him home from the trip because of all the nonsense from last week with demanding the ball. And it's just the latest thing with this guy after the PD suspension, after um, the fight with Jalen Ramsey. And now this issue with demanding the ball and, um, you know, I'm not even going to mention, I mean, what his wife put on social media, whatever. I mean, it's not like he's at fault for that. Um, it, it's not like he wrote that and said, Hey, put this up. I can't imagine <laughs> that that was the case, but, um, uh, the, the, uh, these issues that keep popping up for a guy who's not worth the trouble in the NFL, you're, you're, you're worth the trouble until you no longer are. And he is no longer worth the trouble. I mean, the giants could save 3.75 million against the cap and roll it into next year by cutting this guy. But Dave Gettleman's not going to do it because he gave golden Tate $22.95 million guaranteed at the time of his signing. And now this year's salary guarantee was wiped out by last year's PED suspension. But um, he's surely a goner after this year. The problem is they're still going to have to eat, I think, $4.7 million in dead cap because his signing bonus proration, and he got a $10 million signing bonus. It was a terrible contract. Just cut your losses and move on. It was a really bad contract, one of many that this failed GM has given out. And um, I, I just don't see what the point is anymore in keeping him around because take a look at Austin Mack. Take a look at Dante Pettis and get, get a look at some of these young players. Get some more targets for Darius Slayton and then obviously Sterling Shepard probably will be back next year you kind of know what you have in him but there's many reasons why Golden Tate should be a goner but the problem is you know the guy who makes that decision has an has an obviously in interest in making the Tate signing look as good as possible um but um yeah I don't, I don't, I mean, I, objectively, he, he doesn't really bring much to the, to the team anymore and he has no future with the team. The team's two and seven. You should be thinking about the future. You shouldn't be thinking about, uh, and the offense can be competent without him. I think, um, even though they, they had their issues in Washington yet again, it's not like they're going to be that much better with him on the field. Right. 
I mean, they weren't, they aren't good with him on the field already. So, right. I mean, and he, and he only played 50% of the snaps in that game where he was complaining on top of that. And, and if you think you have something in Austin Mack, you absolutely should be playing him more. And if you think you want to see what Dante Pettis has, then Golden Tate might be playing less than 50% of the snaps against the Eagles. So yeah, that kind of goes in. And this is a good way to spin to the next topic I want to do. And we can kind of wrap up on is the idea that they're in the NFC East race is probably playing into their decision a little bit to not get rid of Tate yet, because in theory that, you know, maybe to the fan base, if you cut Golden Tate, by the way, the fan base doesn't seem to want Golden Tate on the team anymore anyway. Um, if they cut him, then maybe it looks like you're giving up on the year. But, you know, if they lose the Eagles on Sunday, all those hopes of winning the division just kind of officially go out the window. And it's it's kind of, you know, insane that we're even talking like a 2-7 and seven team can get into the race anyway. I think people are just looking at the, you know, the numbers, obviously, yeah. well, I mean, the, 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 the math, the I mean, division yeah. where the division leaders three, four and one, and then the Washington's two and six, and then the Cowboys two, set two and seven, the Giants are two and seven. So, oh, the Giants are only a win out of first place. Well, not really. They're 1.5 wins out of first yeah. place because, you know, the Eagles really have 3.5 wins if you, if you actually look at it because they have a tie. So there's so many things that are, are going to need to break the Giants way. Um, you know, the Washington quarterback situation and Dallas quarterback situation almost you think would disqualify them from being contenders. I guess you never know. The Eagles are clearly this, this division is there for the taking. Honestly, you could make the case that if the Eagles don't win the division and make the playoffs this year, that Doug Peterson might be fired or that maybe he should be. It's a conversation, right? I mean, if yeah. they, they don't have the excuses that all these other teams have, um, they're more talented than the Giants, and they have a, they have a, uh, an upright quarterback, unlike the you know the Washington and the Cowboys. So, yeah, I, I mean, so do you say what the Giants are going to win the division at six and ten, which still <laughs> means they would have to close four and three, which is not easy for a team that is number one, not very good. And they still have to play what Eagles, Bengals, Seahawks, yeah, Cardinals, so, Browns, so, Ravens. So, so if they want, so if they want a shot, they have to win the next two games in a row, which would be a yes. three-game winning streak, which they haven't done in who knows how long. And then after that, the schedule goes at Seattle versus Arizona versus Cleveland at Baltimore, and then you end in Dallas. Like that four-game stretch, they're going to be probably heavy underdogs in all four. Yes. Maybe not the Browns. But I mean, the Browns have like what a six and two record, even without Beckham. So th- those are four playoff teams most likely. And five and three, yeah. Teams with a lot of like weapons on offense and interesting guys. Like the Giants, the odds of them winning, you know, so if they win two more games, these next two games, they'd be, they'd have what, uh, four wins. And to get to six wins, you have to win at least one of those four. I mean, it's possible, I guess. Like it, that's like we're playing in a scenarios where the Giants only barely beat Washington twice and those are their only wins. Like the odds of them winning six games are pretty slim. If they did it, then. You know, Joe Judge is the guy and but give him a lifetime contract. Have, so But you also have to think like, oh yeah, they're gonna win the division at six and ten, but only if the other teams in the yeah. division also continue yeah. to lose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like you have to like bank on the Eagles just going completely in the tank. Like if you say, Oh, the Giants are gonna win the division at six and ten. All right, well then that means the Eagles have to yeah, they have to have a better. They can't. They're not going to tie. They're not going to tie the Eagles' record because the Eagles have a tie. So right. So that means the Eagles have to win five games, right? To yeah. Five point five wins. So that means the and Eagles they, have to only have. Eagles two have to go. T- yeah. They have the to go. The season. Yep. They, they have need to go two and I mean, two and six the rest of the way, and and so the the Eagles play. The Eagles coming up play the the Giants, Browns. So their schedule is pretty hard too. They have Seahawks, Green Bay, New Orleans, Arizona, but they end with Dallas and Washington, which are two games the Eagles should be able to win. And then that kind of clinches the division for them. So, I mean, right. I still think the Eagles have to be the odds-on favorite to win the division. 
at this point. And yes, I mean, I understand the mathematically being in it. And of course, they're going to be these you guys are competitors. Joe Judge's competitor. They're going to want to try to win the division. They're going to try to do everything they possibly can, keep all the guys on the roster who they can, whatever, whatever. Um, but I, I, yeah, look, I guess in the grand scheme of things, saving $3.75 million against the cap and get, getting rid of Golden Tate and maybe getting a little bit more of a look at the young receivers versus balancing out, trying to win, which, you know, matters to these guys a lot even though this is a rebuilding team. Um, I guess I can understand why they're, why they would keep a guy like that around, but, um, but yeah, big picture. Um, I would, I would expect the Eagles to win this game on Sunday and to kind of set aside finally, once and for all, all those kind of pipe dream hopes of, of NFC East title for the giants. Yeah. And, and just to put a bow on this with the Eagles giants game, um, it's important to remember the last time they played, the giants were up 21 to 10 late in the fourth quarter and lost it, which has been like a frequent thing against the Eagles. Um, so they're clearly capable of beating this Eagles team, but the Eagles are also going to have a healthy Lane Johnson, Jason Peters is back, Miles Sanders, Jalen Rager, Alshon Jeffrey, um, Vontae Maddox. Uh, I think they might even have somebody, Will Parks. So like they've, they're almost a different team than the last time they played, and the Eagles are coming off a bye, and they're usually good off buys. Um, so it's not, it's going to be a harder one to win, even though it's at home for the Giants. Um I haven't picked a score yet. It, I, th- I think it'll be a close one again, and I, I probably will pick something like the Eagles winning 24 to 17, something like that. I, I think that the Giants can – their defense can still stop Carson Wentz, who's prone to turnovers, and if they force a bunch, is how they get it up. Like I wouldn't be shocked if they upset the Eagles, but I would be surprised is what I would say. Yes, I think that's fair, and I sent my pick earlier today to our, our email group, uh, and I picked Eagles 24, Giants 21. And that would mean the Giants would be eight and forty-two <laughs> against non-Washington <laughs> opponents since the start of twenty seventeen. So, uh, yeah, twenty-four twenty-one Eagles. I don't know what the line is in this game, but I would imagine that if you're betting it, that's probably more than three for the Eagles. So um, that would be a win in that department at least. But uh, but yeah, I th- I, uh, I think the Giants showed in, in, in their first meeting in, in week seven that they can play with this team. But like you said, it's a completely different team than that team. looks like the line's three and a half. So uh, there you go. Uh, I don't, I, I think the Eagles in that situation, they would barely not cover. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so I think, uh, yeah, 24, 21 seems reasonable. The Giants are not a team that's going to score a ton of points. Um, but they, they showed that they could put together a pretty good half against a decent wash, uh, a more than decent Washington defense last week. And it's a matter of that. Their offense did nothing in the second half of giants. And, um, maybe, a, you know, not only does Daniel Jones need to play a turnover free game for them to be in contention in this game, but they need to put together a more complete game overall on offense. They can't just play a half like they did in Washington and maybe they have a shot in that case. Maybe they have a shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say they have a shot would be the best way of putting this, but yeah, I, I wouldn't predict the giants uh, winning this game. Um, we'll wrap it up on that note. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We got some reviews this last week. Oh, we're a little out of time. Here. I don't really, maybe I'll read them uh, on our next episode, but thank you for writing those, write some more. Um, as always follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. We're on all the major apps and uh, sign up for our tech service, ng.com slash text. And we'll see you guys next week.